Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armin Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today we have the one and only managing director over at Closed Loop, the one and only Corey Bray, author of Triangle Selling. Nick, why should people listen? Triangle Selling is one of the most foundational books that I've read in my sales career. And if you're the type of salesperson that's showing up to discovery calls and saying, tell me about your current process or what's keeping you up at night, you got to listen to this one because Corey's got a much better way that you can be kicking off your meetings. Three, two, one, tell me about your triangles. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. All right, Corey, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Well, first one is coming out of any sales meeting that we're not disqualifying, we need to have next steps on the calendar. And the framework that we use in triangle selling to get there is the plan and the velocity plan. So the key 
The one thing I want to point out is if we talk about what the next steps could be at the top of the meeting, it helps the prospect realize what decision that we're going to ask them to make at the end. And so we don't surprise them. That way they're thinking the entire meeting, do I want to go to this demo? Do I want to go to this proposal stage with Nick or not? We're not throwing at him at him at the end. And so it makes it much more tolerable for a prospect. Beautiful. What's number two, Corey? The next one is that demos need to be engaging. Talk times and demos should be around 40%. A lot of times I look at people's demos, they're talking 60, 70, 80. I saw one the other day, somebody was talking 90% during the demo. Demos are a conversation, not a presentation. And the actionable takeaway here is ask questions that start with what and how. How would this impact your workflow? What's the difference between what we're doing and your current process? Ask questions like that that prompt the prospect to elaborate on what's going on. And that'll really get you a lot of information because the prospect's sitting there telling you what's going on. The salesperson's value is the information you receive, not the information you provide. Beautiful. What's number three, Corey? Round us out. Number three is that you got to have momentum between your meetings. If I'm not meeting with Nick for another three weeks, he's going to forget about what we talked about back then. So we need to prompt the prospect with something in between. Additionally, sometimes deals stall and there might be an undefined period of time between meetings. So we use the help framework from Triangle Selling there to highlight what happened in the previous meetings, educate them based on new things that might be going on, leverage your network. So for example, if you see a prospect or an employee that might be a good fit for your prospect, then you can introduce them and then predict the future. Not going into that now, but there's four actionable tactics to use with the help framework to create and maintain momentum between meetings. All right. So I would love to understand, Corey, you get off of a really good disco. Ideally, you've set some sort of agenda up front. You've done a solid disco or a demo. And I reach those last five minutes of the meeting. What am I doing to make sure that I maintain that momentum and that deal velocity moving forward? Yeah, we use the framework that we call the velocity plan. And the velocity plan is very similar to the plan that we use at the top of the meeting, where we identify what are the logistics for the next meeting? Who's going to be there? How long is it going to be? And if there's any concern about media, so you don't have somebody in a Costco parking lot when you're trying to do a demo, make sure that's tied up. So that's logistics. Agendas, what do they want to cover? And if there's other people coming to the meeting, ask them what that other person wants to cover. This is a step that salespeople often miss is they're only focused on whoever they're talking to today. Well, if I'm meeting with Armand and I say, hey, you're bringing Nick to the next meeting, what do you think Nick's going to want to get out of that meeting? That gives me at least some insight. You probably know. Maybe you don't, but at least I ask. And then the, the last piece with, with agendas is asking permission to ask questions. Set the expectation that in next meeting, we're going to continue to ask questions to that new person. Hey, I've never met Nick before. Just so I can make everything relevant to him as well, is it okay if I ask him some questions too? That's something that sales development, business development reps can do to tee up meetings successfully for AEs. It's something AEs can do as they're moving through the process. And then when they're bringing things over to customer success, well, getting those agenda items dialed in is key. And then finally, the N in Velocity Plan stands for next steps. So it's not what happens in the next meeting. It's what are the next steps after the next meeting? That's key. Well, one of the areas that so many people... Like it's so easy to get wrong is you show up to a meeting and you're like, ah, it's a discovery call. I'm going to start asking Corey a ton of questions. And in Corey's mind, it's like, why are you asking me all of these questions? Like, I thought we were like, what's going on here? And so no one's ever going to say no to the question, hey, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? But by not asking, you've set yourself up to fail. Um, you sort of mentioned something there where like you're you're really 
you're leaning on this like certainty thing with a customer. Like you're talking about what is going to happen in the next interaction at multiple times throughout like the present interaction. Can you talk a little bit more about like that, that end of that, that last five minutes, like what that actually sounds like. Maybe you could even role play it with my buddy Armand here. Yeah. And, and let me, let me tell you real quick that the reason is because human beings perceive uncertainty as a threat. Walk through a dark aisle. It's a threat. That's how your prospects feel when they don't know what's coming up next. So let's say that we're at the end of a discovery call and I, I want to set my velocity plan. So, Hey, Armand, we said we'd stop with five minutes left and make a decision today. Now I had already set up that the next step could be a demo. So Armand, what are you thinking? Yeah, I, I think it looks pretty good what you've shared with me today. Naturally, I'd love to take a peek myself. And so if you could give me a tour sometime next week, I think that'd be good. Sure. And I'll move to logistics. Hey, anybody else from your team that want to loop in? I sort of feel like I want to see it first before I loop in the broader team because I don't want to waste everyone's time. And I also want to have my eyes on it first, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that sounds great. So when's a good time for us to get together? 45 minutes, maybe Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday morning. Yeah, we shoot for Wednesday morning. That should be good. Okay, I get a time from him. And hey, Armand, coming into that demo, what do you want me to be prepared to show you specifically? You know, I, I think when it comes to our accounting stuff, um, I would love to understand the workflow to enter journal entries, but then also really understand how you report on all of your expenses over the last X number of months, looking backwards. Okay, journal entries reporting, anything else? I'm going to keep asking him anything else because I want to know everything that's top of mind for him. I think one thing would be, you know, as we start to show this to other folks in the org, yeah, naturally, this solves a lot of problems for me, but I'd also love to understand, hey, do you have any sort of executive dashboarding that might help other people in the organization who don't need to get as deep as me so I can present to them effectively without me having to build a billion slides? Excellent. Anything else? I think that's about it. Okay. And hey, just so we can keep this relevant to you throughout the process, is it okay if I ask some more questions in the next meeting? Yeah, of course. Cool. And then coming out of that meeting, you know, typically one of two things happens. Either you realize that what you see isn't going to work for you and that's fine. Or we could set aside some time to bring in some other folks and show them what we're doing. Does that sound like a fair decision to make at the end of that meeting? Yeah, totally fine. I, I think Caitlin is probably going to be the final final say on this thing. And so my guess is we'll probably need to talk about if, if it looks good, of course. Okay. Um, do, you mind sharing what Caitlin's, do you mind sharing what Caitlin's role is? Yeah, she's our CFO. I'm not letting you get away with dropping names without telling me who she is. So that's what a velocity plan sounds like. Well, what you're doing is a lot of people, they, they just take it one step at a time. And the perfect example is, let's say we go to the meeting afterwards where I've already done the demo for that prospect and I'm about to meet with Caitlin. What they don't do is they don't set themselves up for success in that next meeting because they're like, all right, we're multi-threading, great. And you built all this relationship and you've spent all this time with this champion only to get blindsided in an exec demo without even asking, hey, what do you think Caitlin cares about? Or do you think Caitlin is going to be okay with us asking questions first? And you have to use your champion to understand the brain of the person that you're going to multi-thread into afterwards. And the other thing here is that we, we often see people struggle with pain-based discovery. And so what I'm doing here is I'm asking your agenda. Yeah, I'm going to show you some stuff. But what, as a salesperson, I'm really doing is I'm saying, okay, journal entries, reporting, and executive dashboards. What pain points do we solve for people like Armand? And what pain points do we solve for people like Caitlin with those features? And are those features high impact for us? 
And are they competitive advantage for us? Are, are they high winning zone? Do we have a position? Are we uniquely positioned against the competition to win there? So when I go into that meeting, not only do I know what I'm going to show you, but I've got pain points, customer stories, and talking points to support how we're going to eliminate those, those pains that you're experiencing instead of just saying, hey, here it is. What do you think? Corey, can you talk a little bit about the winning zone? Yeah. So winning zones, the concept of there's places where your company is uniquely positioned to win. There's places where your company battles and there's places where you're going to lose. And there's, there's several ways that this comes to life. So one of the, one of it is a competitor. So competitive battle cards, you've all seen these, how we win, where we battle, where we lose. Another one's the target market or ideal customer profile. What's an ideal customer look like across different attributes? Maybe it's company size, geography, industry, incumbent solution. What are those ideal values? What are good values? And what are rejected values? Places where we're just going to deep people. And then the third place that we commonly look at for the winning zone is the personas. Who are the personas we sell to? How do we win? And if we want to go deeper on that, do they do every day? What's their job to be done? And what's the pain that we solve for them? And what are some customer stories that we've got to support that? So if we understand that winning zone through each of those dimensions, one, we prioritize our time. So we're working deals that we're going to win. And second of all, when we're in these conversations, we know what questions to ask because all of this stuff does, it just informs what questions we ask. Can you, can you talk a little bit about like, one of the things that I sometimes struggle with my, in my deals is if I had an unlimited amount of time to converse with Armand, my buyer, I would talk with him and ask him questions about everything that I know we could help with and like where we could help his business move. But the problem is like, I don't have an unlimited amount of time to spend with Armand because one, I've got other deals. Two, Armand's not going to give me 24, 7, 365 access to, to him. And so can you talk about how I prioritize the topics of conversation that I have with the customer in a meeting? Because like you only get so many at bats to like really yeah. stand out. I think that what we find is the more pain that we get early in the process, the more time we can get from the prospect if we want it in an initial meeting or in a second meeting, when we're asking what they want to cover in the meeting and that agenda at the top of the meeting, I'm thinking, okay, this is what they want to cover. Is this winning zone for us? Next thing, is this winning zone for us? Is this winning zone for us? So I'm trying to understand where's the winning zone that overlaps with what they want to cover? How do I uncover as much pain as I can around those topics? And then leverage that to create more velocity in the deal and get more time from them. Because if I can demonstrate, I was, I was just talking to a prospect yesterday and I said, I was 15 minutes in the meeting. He had no pain. I couldn't find anything. And then I found, I, I smelled a hint of something. And, and so I started digging at that one thing and I knew, all right, I'm 15 minutes into a 30 minute call. I don't have much time left. I got to find something if I'm going to keep this deal alive. Cause it was CEO too. It wasn't just like, you know, somebody else. So I found one pain point. And as soon as I found that one pain point, I said, look, we're not going to solve all the world's problems today. What if we come back together and take a little deeper dive on this and see if there might be something that we can do to help you. And that's all I cared about. I don't need to talk about other things that we do. I just want to know, do I have enough to validate his time coming back to another meeting with me? And if I can keep building on that, the momentum of the deal continues. But if I start showing a bunch of stuff that's irrelevant, talking about things he doesn't care about, it's done. So Corey, one of the things that's tough is you might find a competitor at the beginning of your discovery. And then you find that the discovery is going in the direction of the non-winning zone. How do I actually pull that back? without, to your point, just covering a bunch of stuff that they don't want to talk about. 
So understand your winning zone against that competitor. So against that competitor, where do you win? Where do you battle? Where do you lose? And then take that, where do you win piece and don't tell them how you win. Don't tell them how great you are. Don't talk trash on the competitor, ask really good questions and say, you know, one of the things that people look at when they're talking to us is they're usually concerned about this and they're frustrated with that or those priorities for you and form those questions around things that are uniquely in your winning zone. And then you can even coach them on when they're talking to the competitor. If they say, Hey, I'm meeting with competitor X, Y, Z tomorrow. Just be like, do you mind if I share something you might want to ask about when you're in that meeting? Oh man, they'll take that bait every time. You say, you mentioned that X, Y, Z is important to you. Maybe have them show you how they do that. And if you can ask questions like that, you're not trashing the competitor. You're setting traps for them and putting yourself in a much better competitive position to win. Go, go say, Hey, when you, uh, when you meet with them, have them walk you through what it's like to set up a new user. Have them walk you through what it's like to create a dashboard. And that's, and that's a very reasonable thing for somebody to ask. Mm -hmm. And then when they get there, they're going to say, oh, yeah, we can't do that. We need professional services in our overseas office to do that for you. Uh, okay, got it. And then when you have your, your meeting with the prospect again, you're like, oh, how'd it go? And then if, if you've got something that is do it yourself and they've got professional services overseas, boom, maybe that's winnings. Maybe that's enough to get the deal over the hump for you. And then prior to this, one of the things you were doing is you weren't just asking, you know, open-ended questions of how do you like your solution? How do you think no. about this problem? You were raising problems. Could you tell me Correct. a little bit more about using that typically or usually language you were using? If you ask an open-ended question, which is the worst question in sales and discovery call is, tell me about your current process. And it's, this is where people are going to get upset because it's the questions that they might be asking. Tell me about your current process. That doesn't position you in your winning zone. It gets the prospect talking about all kinds of stuff. It could be winning zone. It could be battlefield. It could be losing zone. It could be completely irrelevant to what your company does. If you start off a discovery call there, you've completely lost control. And now you've got a ton of hard work ahead of you and you've got to pull it back. And that's really hard. So why not make it easy on yourself? And instead of asking that open-ended, I hope they say something that's good question, ask a closed-ended question, and then you can go ask all your open-ended questions. So you could say something like, hey, Armand, you know, typically when someone asks me about journal entries and executive dashboards, they're concerned that they're not closing the books fast enough and they're anxious that they might not be able to pass an audit. Is that why you brought that up? And so now what I've done is I've demonstrated my expertise because I understand what people like him do. I've demonstrated that I understand the types of pains that people like him experience. And so there's probably there's some probability that he says, that's exactly what I'm dealing with. I've even heard people say, wow, were you in our board meeting last week? And if, he, if I miss the mark, I still have credibility because I'm talking about things that are relevant to his business. And there's this concept called Cunningham law that says that the, the fastest way to get to the right around the internet is to post the wrong answer on the internet. So if I say something that is in the right ballpark, but it's in the wrong seat, he'll correct me and say, no, Corey, not what I'm worried about. What I'm actually worried about is this other thing. Boom, off to the rooms with discovery in my winning zone. And I'm not hoping that he's going to answer that open-ended question with something I can deal with. 
something that I learned from you that I do in the beginning of every single meeting is I ask, is there anything else that you really want to make sure that we cover or address in today's session? And there have been times that, to your point earlier, I've lost control of the meeting at that moment where I get on with Armand. I thought we're going to talk about a specific thing. And he's like, I really need to understand your, your service level agreement and your entire IT infrastructure. I can't really address the infrastructure side of things, but he is asking me like basic questions about like SLA stuff. And this is on a first interaction. So how do I regain control and get back to talking about like, we haven't even covered any pain and he's asking me about an SLA. Yeah. yeah. Well, in this case, do you know your SLA? Uh, something yeah, like 99%, 99% uptime. It sounds like you asked that for a reason, Nick. So that's active listening. It sounds like you asked that for a reason. Just dig deeper. Your job, here's the thing, salespeople, your job's not to answer questions. Your job's to uncover information from people. Now, if they ask you a bunch of questions and you answer any of them, you're going to break rapport. So the other thing that you can do is say, hey, I, I don't have the exact number. I believe that our SLA is 99.5%. It might be a little bit better than that. Nick, is that in line with what your needs are? Or how does that align with what your needs are? And that way, we're maintaining control of the conversation by using a technique that we call tagging where we answer the question and we tag another question onto the end of it. That's something that we covered really, really early on the, or one of our first episodes of this podcast is when somebody asks you a question, yeah, you want to answer it, but you also want to understand the intent behind it, which is why you ask that tagged question. So Corey, on that note of like asking questions and getting the prospect to engage, I want to talk about something you mentioned earlier, which is, is demos. And you mentioned like talk time on demos. I've never seen a demo where somebody talks only 40% of the time, but I would love to because I bet it would be really good. How should salespeople be adjusting their demos so that they're actually having a conversation as opposed to a well, presentation? One of the easiest techniques, if you have a dashboard product or something that is just super intuitive, put it up first and say, hey, when I flip this up on the screen, what jumps out at you? Imagine how that's different from using kindergarten language to spend three minutes talking about all the different features and buttons and words and numbers on the dashboard. Your prospects have seen dashboards before. Dashboards have been around for 30 years plus. I mean, they've been around for 100 years, but in computer screens, they've been around for 30 years. Don't treat your prospects like kindergartners. Let them tell you what they're seeing. And if they're spot on, move on. If they're not, you can help course correct. Or if they want to just start talking about how painful the world is, hang out there, dig in can't learn anything if you're talking. So figure out ways to get them talking during the demo. That's one of them. So you can do things at the beginning is when you're, when you're setting up your logistics or agenda, you can say, Hey, look, as we go through this demo, I'm not a big fan of showing you 15 slides and boring you to death. So is it okay if I just put some screens up, ask some questions and we have a conversation. And Corey, you've done all this work in discovery. Could you give us a sense of you're not just asking, hey, what jumps out at you? You're probably pulling some of those things that you learned into the demo. How do you weave those two together? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm surgically, yeah. So it is the share framework in triangle selling. Simple, highlight, acute, relevant, and engaging. So acute is focused acutely on the pain that we've already uncovered from this person. I'm not hoping about anything. I'm, I'm showing them something that is relevant to their pain, and I'm setting a trap for them to say, oh, wow, so that fixes this thing that we've been concerned about that we've been struggling with. And I already know what it is because asking the questions during discovery. Never demo anything where you haven't uncovered pain yet. Let's talk about the only reason we demo. There's one reason people demo, and that's to overcome prospect skepticism. Prospects are skeptical that the product does what the salesperson says it does. They're skeptical that it's going to work for them. They're skeptical that it's easy to use. There's lots of reasons why they're skeptical. 
Well, start with what they're going to get. And what they're going to get is often the dashboard or some kind of report or some high level view. Start there. And then you can ask the question, hey, Armand, so based on what we're seeing here, we could either move to whatever, which would be the next pain point that we explored, or we could dig in and see how this thing was created. I'm curious what you would like to do at this point. Because you don't want to go into the back end with somebody. You don't want to go into the details, the builder, whatever it is, without getting them to opt into it. Because they might say, hey, look, if I can get this thing, I'm good. Or they might say, well, I don't know how this works. Show me how it's built. Certainly a CEO or C-level person is never going to say that. But uh, somebody that's in charge of admin might. So playing to your audience is key. You just, you just said something. The reason that a salesperson should show a demo is to overcome skepticism. And I know one of the things you write a lot about, Corey, is the different types of resistance that salespeople get from customers and, and ways to overcome that resistance. I don't know. Can you talk about that a little bit for us? Yeah, there's there's three buckets that we see resistance fall into. There's reactance, which is what happens. You walk into a store and they say, how can I help you? And you say, I'm just looking. So what happens when a cold call and they say, oh, I don't like cold calls. There's, they're reacting because they've had poor experiences with salespeople in the past. So they push you away. It usually happens at the in initial interaction or when you come up with a big ask, like, can I talk to your boss, for example. There's skepticism where they don't believe that it works. They don't believe it works for them. They don't believe that it's going to meet their, their needs. And then there's inertia. And inertia means that a prospect at rest tends to stay at risk until acted upon by an outside salesperson. From physics class in Mrs. Kerbuffle's classroom. That's, uh, that's the idea. And so there's, there's different specific techniques that you can use to overcome each one of those types of resistance or objections as they, they call them. The, the bottom line is don't be defensive and instead ask questions or use active listening. If that's all you do, it's world's better. Let's talk about this inertia one. Oftentimes on a cold call, you have the ability to like, like with cold emails, someone has to take a step forward, but you can sort of like spearfish someone into like taking a meeting with you. And you start asking like, why'd you take the call? And it's like, hey, you cold called me 17 times. And like, I'm happy to take a look. How do I get them out of that state of like, I don't know if I have a problem today. And, and I just feel like I'm taking this call because. Yeah, totally. Well, one approach, if you want to just narrow it down, if you solve a very specific set of pain points, you can say something like, look, Armand, there's only three reasons CFOs work with us. They're either struggling with this, they're concerned about this, or they're anxious about this other thing. Are any of those relevant to you? And at that point, you transition from interest to pain. And then you can, you can dig into that pain a little bit more if you need to. But that's the idea of really knowing your winning zone. Where do you win against the competitors in the market with the personas and what pain points do you solve with high impact and in your winning zone for each one of those personas? There's not a ton. And if you know which ones they are and you can bring them up specifically with these folks, we identify that pain. Then we can ask more open-ended questions and explore it. But if we start close-ended, then we can focus in our winning zone and make sure this thing doesn't get away from us. And we're trying to pull it back the whole time and figure out how to get it back into our winning zone. All right, Corey, this has been a phenomenal one. We got to move to the final question now. Final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really good things that salespeople should be doing, but we got to ask you about the inverse. The inverse is what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that they need to ditch because it hurts them more than it helps? Talk too much. <laughs> Not even talking too much. It's just talk too much. I love it. Anything you want to promote before we jump off here? Yeah, well, the book that's catching the most steam, we've written eight books, but The Five Secrets of a Sales Coach, 
is is really taken off. Pete Kazanji from Modern Sales Pros, Natrium, said that it's the best sales coaching book there is out there in a LinkedIn post the other day. It's been selling like crazy. So if you're in a sales leadership role and you're concerned that your sales coaching skills aren't quite where they need to be, and if you're in a individual contributor role and you're anxious about how do I actually get to a sales leadership role, Five Secrets of Sales Coach might be good. And uh, we're turning it into a software product. If you're interested in early access beta, shoot me a note on LinkedIn and we'll chat. Folks, I can vouch for all of Corey's stuff. His books are not only helpful, they're actually kind of entertaining to read. I was texting Corey last night. There's a character in one of the books who always does the wrong thing. And it always makes me chuckle when I see this doofus just like screwing up his job. But I actually learned what not to do. So Corey, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Corey Bray include number one, when you're going towards the end of a meeting, don't just stop there. Double up on next steps for the following meeting. In other words, if you're about to multi-thread, you might want to ask, hey, on that next meeting, can we talk about what your CFO is going to care about? Number two, don't just ask willy-nilly open-ended questions. It is okay. In fact, it is encouraged to ask the couple closed-ended questions. You can use typically or usually language to demonstrate that you know their business. Number three, when you show your first screen on your demo, don't just go crazy with your kindergarten language. You can ask them, hey, what jumps out at you here? And then lastly, number four, in terms of the order that you show things, you should start with the outcomes, the things that are exciting in your demo, but then you should work your way backwards to reality. In other words, work your way backwards to things like integrations and permissions at the end so that you drop their skepticism. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out today? Well, Armand, typically people who listen this deep in the episode actually like 30 Minutes to President's Club. And if you didn't know, we actually have a LinkedIn page where we post sales tips that come from both me and Armand. We curate the best of the best. Truthfully, most of the takeaways come from me. There's only a couple there from Armand, but we would really appreciate it if y'all would go follow our LinkedIn page. And we'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.
Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, Pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. 